0: The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we speak with colleagues who are affiliated with Cornell's colleague networking groups, also known as CNGs. The CNGs are essentially Cornell's version of employee resource or affinity groups. We ask them about their experiences working at Cornell, engaging with the CNGs, and what their thoughts and ideas are around what belonging at work looks and feels like. My name is Erin sember My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. So today, we are talking with members of the Women of Color Colleague Networking Group and the Veteran Colleague Networking Group. Welcome, Steph and Deborah. So happy to have you both here.
2: Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you.
1: So we'd love for you to just take a minute to introduce yourselves. If you want to say what your pronouns are, where you work, how long you've been at Cornell, and of course which CNG you are here representing today.
3: So my name is Steph Cowling Rich. I use she, her pronouns. I work in the Office of Academic Diversity Initiatives, or WADI, as it's affectionately known. And I work as an assistant director for student advising and engagement and an assistant director for the educational opportunity programs and higher educational opportunity programs. And I'm here representing the Women of Color CNG. Um, I've been a part of that CNG since I came to Cornell, which was in the summer of 2016. And I'm really excited for this conversation.
1: Great, thank you.
2: I'm Deborah Howell, I use she, her pronouns. I've been at Cornell 23 years, my first 20 in facilities and campus services, and the last three and a half, I've been the Director of IT Operations for the University Library. I am here representing the Veterans Colleague Network Group.
0: Welcome, welcome to both of you. We are so excited to have you here. So I'm just gonna dive right into our, our first question. Um, and this is a question that we've been asking all of our CNGs. And, and it's the idea that we hear the terms diversity, inclusion a lot, right? Um, but what about the term belonging? That's something that's new. I think it's it's recently, this term has been used widely. So what does the word belonging mean to both of you in the DEI context?
3: I have so many thoughts about this. I think it's so central to this DEI work, is what does it mean not only for folks to feel that they're represented or that their unique identities and intersecting identities are being considered, but really that folks feel valued, that folks feel that sense of community and connection, that they feel that they matter in all of the unique identities that they bring into the space. I think that belonging really is central To the DEI work, I think about this a lot in my advising work with students. I work primarily with students who are first-generation college students, low-income students, students of color. And so that's central to thinking about how we craft programming, how we connect with students, how we support them. It feels like an underlying piece of really having the work feel integral.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: I think a lot about this as well. Um, Cornell did a survey several years ago. I, I hope they redo it. But it broke my heart because they asked staff who had left Cornell why they left. And the top three reasons, the first was the cost of housing and the second was the cost of daycare. No shockers. Mm-hmm. But the third was a lack of belonging. They never felt like they fit. And it really broke my heart. I facilitate Cornell's Staff Development Program Turning Point. I was actually doing that last week and talking about the word belonging. And I said, you know, diversity is inviting people to the table and inclusion is letting them sit down, but belonging is letting them eat too, right? And I think it's so important. And from a veteran's perspective, higher education can be a difficult place for veterans, typically, and so for belonging for veterans, I think it's really important. I think Cornell does a great job with that, actually.
1: Yeah, I think that it's interesting because the way that you both chose to define that has come up in some of our other conversations too. That sense of feeling valued, in particular, that connection, and and sadly, double you're right. That is a big reason why people may end up leaving us, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I know we all care about and are trying to figure out how to change. So. I mean, if I can ask the two of you, you did so well at kind of giving us a sense of what belonging means. Can you talk a little bit about your own experience with belonging at Cornell? You both have been here, you know, between six and 20 (laughs) plus years, (laughs) but you both have been so involved and and so out there. Uh, And so I'm just really curious, you know, what has helped you to feel a sense of belonging at Cornell? And conversely, when has it been challenging to feel that?
2: Go ahead, Deborah. <laughs> that is that is so loaded. I know. Um, for myself personally, not only am a veteran, but I'm also a woman, and I'm a woman in a historically male-dominated field, information technology. So you know, twenty three years ago, in meeting rooms and things like that, I might be the only woman there, mm-hmm. and it was very difficult. And often, you know, the first thing would be, Deborah, will you take the notes? To which I would always say, no. Good for you. No no explanation. (laughs) No. Something that I I think has really helped increase belonging over the years is amplifying voices that sometimes are marginalized. I think that I've witnessed it myself. That's made a a tremendous difference, just amplifying people's voices when they are talked over or interrupted or someone shares their idea right after them and all of a sudden it's well-received. I think that makes a difference. I also think The way I'm seeing people in leadership, especially in like the last three to five years, telling everyone that this matters and then demonstrating that it matters. You know, the provost just hosted the what he says is the first annual veterans reception for the fall semester on campus. You know, that's really visible. And, you know, student veterans and graduate student veterans and staff and faculty all invited. I think that felt so good.
3: I would say that there's a few different ways that I've tried to be intentional at cultivating that sense of belonging. Uh, Truly, when I came to Cornell, my choice to work in Wadi and to work with the students with whom we serve was a real, I'll say a selfish choice, right? Because I knew whom the students I feel a particular affinity to working Mm -hmm. with. And so I was, I was really intentional and strategic in wanting to connect with that office, which is really about cultivating that sense of belonging for students. And the staff who are drawn to working in our office also have that same mission and drive is helping students who are often underrepresented feel that sense of community and connection. So that was my first piece. But then, Erin, you had mentioned for both Deborah and I being involved in various spaces across campus and I think for me, being able to collaborate across different units, across different entities is really central at creating that sense of belonging. So Aaron, you and I served previously on the Professional Academic Advising League, a leads um, group, which was really trying to amplify advising across campus and specifically academic advising the Women of Color Colleague Network Group, seeing that as a space where folks who are coming from various units across campus, right, so they might not be in advising, they might not be in in student-facing roles even, but to have an opportunity to connect, to create programming, to be in workshop spaces, to share our stories, to really feel heard and feel connected, I think those are so central with cultivating that sense of belonging, and for me, I really enjoy hearing people's stories, which is why I'm in advising, right? I love hearing people's lives and their dreams and their goals and being a part of that journey for some period of time. And so I think whenever I'm doing any kind of initiative, I'm often thinking about how do we bring forth folks' voices? How are we collaborating together? Am I feeling seen? Am I feeling heard? Am I feeling valued? And that helps to create that sense of belonging I would say that in terms of where I haven't felt it is I do think that one of the pieces that Cornell, and I think this is true for many research universities, right? It's very decentralized. Mm-hmm. And the challenge can be feeling like, wow, my work is in this very specific silo. How am I connected right. across different spaces? And Deborah mentioned facilitating Turning Point, And I was able to participate a few years back. And that's such an awesome opportunity for folks to see how am I connected with folks who are in IT, who are in HR, who are in all of these various spaces and how our work is all supporting the mission of the university. And so the times when I feel less of that sense of belonging is when I feel like I'm not really making a contribution. What I do doesn't really matter in this very big institution, but to have spaces where we can have that through line, I think can be really powerful
0: yeah there there's something that both of you said that's really resonating with me quite a bit, and for Deb, you mentioned this idea that uh, when you first started your career here, you found yourself being the only right? Um, and we've had that conversation many a times in this podcast about being the only. And I think, you know, I always say, like, I like to always look at, to your point, is providing the belonging for others. I'm hoping that what I am able to do is start out as the only. And the other way that I tend to look at it is I'm not the only, I'm the first, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes. my goal is to is to change the environment so that there's others that follow after me. And I'm so glad that when you, you just talked about the taking the note story and you said no and like no explanation. I think that's amazing and that's awesome because you know typically as females we tend to provide like oh here's why I don't want to and all of these reasonings and I was like we well, don't need a reason right I don't I don't need to justify anything and so I thought that was amazing And then uh, both of you actually mentioned in, in various components, this idea of sharing and amplifying stories of others, right? Steph, you really honed in on that. And I think that is huge in finding that connection outside of your immediate organization, because to what you just said in terms of you could be making all the difference in your own department, right? So Steph, you could be making all the difference for these students and they feel that difference and you have somehow changed this outlook and their experience here at Cornell. But if nobody knows that, like how I would want others to replicate that. Right. And how do you do that? And the, the way to, to make that happen and make this kind of across the board standard is by sharing those stories, to say, hey, Steph is doing something amazing here. And we could probably replicate that in every college. Right. Why not? And make all of our students feel that way, make all of our staff feel that belonging. So I think this that those two pieces that both of you shared I think, just really, really resonated with me.
1: I also think that I like how you phrased stuff. You said that how you've cultivated a sense of belonging. And I, I really like that language because I think there's a sense of empowerment that comes in that statement that is so important because what I heard, and maybe this isn't what you meant, but perhaps I'm projecting, but <laughs> what I heard is that you don't just think about how to cultivate it for your student, but in so doing, you're thinking about how to cultivate it for yourself, yes. you know? and We have the CNGs. That's one way that, you know, I could be proud that my employer, Cornell, has recognized that these versions of an employee resource group or affinity group exist. At the same time, you know, it has to be on all of us to seek it out, (laughs) you know, if we wish to cultivate that sense of belonging, right, how you said that, which I really liked. So that's actually a good segue into talking a little bit more about your respective CNGs. What is it about those CNGs that has helped you to cultivate a sense of belonging, and and what do you think would help others to want to seek you out and seek the CNGs out?
2: I actually chair the Veterans CNG now, which I never expected, and, you know, folks tried to get me involved in the CNG, the Veterans CNG, for several years, and I wouldn't um, because I don't want to say I was resentful, but let's just say I was resentful, um, <laughs> because you know when, as a veteran, when you apply for employment, only combat veterans are in the protected class of veterans, and I am not a combat veteran. I was a peacetime soldier, and so I thought that the CNG wasn't for me. Mm. You know, I thought it meant I could check veteran on the box. Oh, when I, interesting. Yeah, it was. It was really a struggle. I didn't know this. Okay. I yes, and so. One of the, I think, cool things that Cornell does actually is after you are hired here, you can actually go into Workday and change your veteran status to mark yourself as a veteran at Cornell. Not the protected class, but Mm -hmm. still, I'm a veteran. And so I joined the CNG. And one of my focuses has been to embrace all veterans in Cornell and get that message out that the CNG really is for all veterans, whether or not you can check the protected class box. So, and then we do, you know, a lot to raise the voices of veterans here. I will say that a lot of veterans, myself included, have a complicated, you know, relationship with the military. And then in higher education, because, you know, if we look at, you know, veteran stereotypes, we tend to think they're probably more conservative in their viewpoints. And academia is not, right? It's can be very radical and very liberal. And so veterans often don't feel welcome Mm. in higher education, but those stereotypes don't hold up, and they definitely don't hold up at Cornell, and I think the CNGs and the veteran CNG is doing a lot to dispel those, let's call them myths. So, and we are amplifying Veterans Day. Uh, So I think those are some of the things we're doing right now. We just created our first award. It's going to be um, awarded the first time this year for, it's called the Continuation of Service Award. And it's for veterans who have joined our community that are doing work to make our community a better place and a better place for veterans.
0: Steph, how about about the women of color?
3: So as I mentioned, I joined the the Women of Color Colleague Network Group that first summer that I started at Cornell. And I was told by a colleague that I should look into the CNG. And I chose to pursue that opportunity for a few different reasons. One is around wanting to have community and connection. I feel particularly strongly about the intersecting identity of being a black woman and, and wanting to be in, in space with other women of color. And I think, too, you know, Cassie Joseph, who who started the, the Women of Color CNG, who started all of the CNG, so I want to make sure we name her, yep. um, really welcomed me from the beginning. I remember she took me out to lunch, which I felt was such a special way to connect and share the vision for not only is this a, a tool for retention for women of color, or a tool for recruitment for women of color, but it's also an opportunity for folks to continue to enhance their professional skills, to have opportunity for social connection, to be in space with other women who have unique challenges, right? The experience that I have as a woman of color here at Cornell is going to be different than others but that we can have some some similarities that we can be able to share and learn from each other. And for me, that model of the professional development, the community connection, the social opportunities, the cultural enrichment, there are times that we have had book clubs that have been really, really rich and complex and allows for folks to explore some deeper themes and ideas, but then to also share their own personal stories while engaging in a really interesting text. So for me, it's a a lot of ways to be able to come in to connect with other women, again, like I mentioned before, to connect with folks who are across campus who I might not be interacting with on a day-to-day basis, but that I can learn from, that I can can be in community with, that helps to strengthen that sense of of connection and and belonging.
0: And I've mentioned this in in almost every conversation we've had, is this idea that though I find that to be as equally as valuable, right, that connection— I also find equally valuable that I can walk into that room and not say a word. And yet that's still okay. And all the women for women of color in in my particular CNG understand what I might be going through. Right. I love the idea that I can be as active or as engaged as I want to be. And yet I can also walk into the space and not say anything and still be understood. That's such an
3: important point. I think knowing that you didn't use this word, Toro, but I wonder if it's like a feeling of being held, Yes, that it's okay to come in and not have to put on all of the armor or masks or whatever it is that we have to put on when we're moving through our day to day, but to know that folks understand if you need to find some some quiet, but in the community as right. well. I really appreciate that.
0: And then the other thing that I I have noticed, and maybe both of you have, too, in your individual groups, is that when the gatherings do happen, when the connection and the community building happens, like all of the hierarchy disappears. It's not that this is a a vice president or, you know, our director or all of those hierarchy components like disappear. And yet we all kind of end up on equal footing. That's yeah, I resonate with that as well. I do, too.
1: Really good point. And and I mean, both of you, in one way or another, have sort of brought up to the fact that our employer is a higher education institution, which is going to bring its own set of opportunities, but but also challenges. Deborah, you sort of started to talk about this a little bit. It doesn't always feel like it's the most naturally welcoming space, you know, for veterans, uh, for a variety of reasons. And Steph, I'm going to go out on a whim and, and say just from, you know, my years of working here, that could probably say the same <laughs> for women of color, that it doesn't always feel like the most naturally accessible and welcoming place. So I'm wondering if you guys could dive into that a little bit more. You know, what are the opportunities and challenges that present themselves specifically for veterans and women of color when your employer is a higher ed institution?
3: I think that's such a good point. You know, the first thought that came to mind, Erin, is not only is Cornell a higher education institution, but it's also in central New York. So it's Mm -hmm. in a rural area of the state. For some of our Women of Color colleague Network group members, it means coming to a community that maybe they don't have family or connections. And how do you start to build not only within the campus, but also within the surrounding communities, that sense of connection and familiarity? How do you build that community, right? And I think the other piece is that Cornell is an ivy and that it has this elite energy to it, which I think draws a lot of people in. I'll say that you know the folks that we have in our community are so smart, are so driven, are so motivated, want to do great work. And I also think that being in an elite institution can be very, very demanding. And when I think about the intersection of that, moving through the pandemic, Many of the women in our community, the women of color in our community, are caregivers, whether it's caring for elders or caring for children or really central to their families or their communities. And so the demands of moving through a pandemic, wanting to be excellent at your work, and at the same time trying to be present, as many women are, for the demands of their lives, of their communities, the pressure can be very, very high. So I think about the challenge there, but also the opportunity to really learn from folks around what is it that you need? How can we support you? How can we think about flex opportunities if folks need to have flex opportunities? I also know women of color who have pursued leadership opportunities and have pursued growth during this really challenging time. Mm -hmm. And so I think to me, the opportunity is how do you make sure that you're checking in and tapping into your employees, ensuring that they have the supports that they need? Ensuring that they're clear about where do I want to grow or how do I want to be supported right now? What is the vision and the goal that I have from my work and the contribution that I want to make? And how as a community, as a supervisor, whomever it is that's providing that professional development, how can we support you in thriving?
0: That to me is really central. I think one of the biggest fears or why that's not happening is because people think that then... Once you are developed, right, and the staff are developed to this next level, that they're going to leave. And so then where does that leave me? And where, as a supervisor, where does that leave my department? I'm down in person, and then I have to go through this all over. And so I know there's like a real fear that people are going to leave. And I actually feel like it's the opposite, right? Like if you tell this person that I'm invested in you and your future... I actually think that person is going to give you like 110, 120 percent of the effort, right, in in what they're doing because you're invested in them. They're going to leave regardless, right? If if they want to leave, they're going to leave regardless. So why not invest in the employee so that you actually get 120 percent of their effort because they can see that you as their supervisor are so invested in their growth and their future? So we've talked about this idea in our previous podcast as well, and, and there's this concept that there is a the huge research project that's going on right now where companies are looking at a four-day work week and realizing that the employees are putting in the same amount of effort and actually getting more work done in the four days versus the five days. That they can get more out of the employee over a four-day period if you give them a three-day weekend every single weekend? And what does that do? So a similar concept, right? If you invest in somebody's future, could you actually get more out of them for the time that they're there? I like
3: this, too. It makes me think about it could be a recruitment approach as well. So if you happen to have great performers who decide to go to another institution, The work that happens at Cornell is so connected to various fields across the world that you can have someone who may have left and gone to another place, but they also have a strong network and can say, hey, you know what, maybe you should go work with Mm Erin. I had a really positive experience working with her. You might want to consider looking at this opportunity. Whereas if folks don't feel that you're invested in them and that you care about their development and you care about their thriving, there might not be that same positive words about go and work for this institution. It might be a little bit less like, I actually didn't have a positive experience. I didn't feel like folks were invested and cared about my success and my well-being. So I would recommend that you don't steer clear, right? <laughs> yeah. you know? Right.
1: Right. I can attest that it's valuable working with Anne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very <good> point. Yeah. <laughs> right on. I can say that too, Erin. Yeah. <laughs> Debra, what about you? What do you think about all this?
2: yeah thank you i I think it's really important, and one of the things that we try to do is lean in to all areas of the campus where possible. I mean every c n g gets a representative on the employee assembly, mm-hmm. so we take advantage of that and um and actually, I am the representative right now to the employee assembly, <laughs> no, but <laughs> if you're interested veterans uh here's a call and I actually was elected to the university assembly as the employee assembly representative to the university assembly, and so I use those forums to, you know, bring forward veterans' issues mm-hmm. and let folks know what's going on or just really participating in all kinds of places Then every once in a while just being, oh, hey, by the way, I'm a veteran, you know, just letting people know
0: us and see us. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of the identities, right? And, and I think, Steph, you mentioned this at the very, very beginning about this idea of intersectionality and that we all hold multiple identities. We don't just show up as a woman of color or as a veteran in any given space. There are other identities that come with us. And so even within your, your um, CNGs, you might have individuals who identify as a woman of color and the LGBT or, you know, a veteran and disability and, and anything in between. And so how does your CNG support and create opportunities for inclusion for members that hold these various other identities as well? And especially if the other identities are just as salient as the one, you know, as the veterans or women of color. So we
2: think about this a lot on the veterans CNG. And there's a lot of intersectionality with other CNGs. I, I think the the current leadership, Aaron, Torrell, thank you, is doing a great job of bringing us all together to talk with each other, which really didn't happen very often in the past. We didn't get that opportunity very often. And we're doing it more often now, which I, I think is so important The other thing is we're trying to hold events that might cross CNGs. Mm -hmm. So in the veterans community, disabilities are a big deal. We have so many disabled combat veterans and a lot of invisible disabilities among veterans, you know, PTSD and traumatic brain injury being two really big ones. And, you know, the fight against veteran suicide. So we do a lot with buddy checks, you know, just everybody has a buddy, everybody has a buddy check. We're hosting in October, and you can go to the Johnson Museum website to get more information. We're hosting a camouflage to composition paper making workshop, mm-hmm. and you can actually bring in your old military uniforms or someone else's if you had someone in the military, or we have some to provide for you if you don't have them. And we're taking the person doing the workshop. You take your uniform and turn it into paper, Um, you know, that you can actually use as paper. That's pretty amazing. Right? To do something different, you know, to turn those uniforms that may mean something into something, you know, more creative, more wholehearted.
0: Very really nice. Yeah, that's pretty amazing.
1: Well, it's, it's such a nice community-building experience as well. And um, I could definitely see different people who, again, hold other identities coming together around an event like that and just sharing that sense of community having that experience in common. So maybe you had your military experience in common, but this is like a a way of having uh, civilian (laughs) life in common as well, you know, which I think could be equally as important because it's obviously different, yeah. You know, on the other side of, of thinking about this, too, actually, Deborah, you sort of alluded to this earlier, that there can also be the tendency, you know, we have these wonderful CNGs and we're glad that we have them, right, women of color, disability veterans, so on, but there can be, perhaps, <laughs> that could perpetuate this myth that that means all veterans think the same way. <laughs> all women of color have the same experience. You know, like you said, Deborah, Oh, well, then that must be all veterans must have the same political leanings, right? All women of color must have family obligations. We know amongst us that that's not true, but it it, it could happen, right, that people could sort of make some assumptions that one identity also means one shared collective thought, you know, um, which is not necessarily true. So how do we demonstrate that even though you may have these CNGs that are built around a shared identity, that, that there's so much diversity within and all those different thoughts and feelings and experiences are welcome in that one group? How do we do that? How do you do that?
3: It's such a good point. I think we try to do it for the Women of Color Colleague Network group in a few different ways. Um, Every month we have monthly gatherings where folks can come that are informal to share what's up for them, what's particularly present, what are the opportunities that they're looking for, the challenges that they're experiencing. And so I think, again, really centering folks' voices And allowing them to share what's present for them so that we're not making assumptions that we know what's going on for you, but that we're opening up that space. I think we try to be intentional about bringing in, if we have speakers, speakers from various backgrounds to be able to share with us around our particular themes of professional development, around community connection, around mental health without assuming that we all have the same understanding of what that means or what we need in that particular capacity. Um, I also would say for our e-board, we have representation from women of color of various racial and ethnic backgrounds, which I think is also really important when we think about women of color. Just like you said, Erin, it's not one homogenous group, right? right, that there's the experiences that I have are different than the experiences that Toro have, right? Right. We have some similarities, but just being able to pull that apart and have some real appreciation for the complexities of those experiences. Even thinking about, in terms of intersecting identities, I'm thinking about folks' immigration status and how do you navigate that along with being a woman of color. If folks have families that are in various parts of the world and are still trying to be really present here, but also be present for their families or their communities in other places, I think in in terms of neurodivergence, how are we ensuring that we're providing the space so that folks can engage with our programming in the range of needs that they have around how they show up? I think we try to be intentional about opening up the space, even if it's something as simple as, okay, we're going to have an in-person event, but we're also going to have a hybrid event because we have women of color CNG members that are tuning in from New York City. And we want to make sure that we're opening up the space for them to be present and to share their experiences and to be able to engage. So we're trying to think on a few different levels. I will say that there's more work that we can be doing around thinking about the nuanced experiences of our intersecting identities. But I think we really try to center that piece of allowing folks and encouraging folks to share their stories, share their experiences, share their needs so that then we can be using what they are offering us to then be able to create opportunities and programming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said speaks to what you both said earlier. Just amplifying the different voices within the group is so critical because then that would allow someone who might identify, you know, as Latina or as Asian, Asian-American to realize, oh, women of color means me too. Exactly. You know, kind of like exactly. what you said earlier, Deb, which was, was news to me that, you know, there were different types of veteran statuses and I could see how there could be some non-combat veterans who wouldn't make an assumption that, oh, that's not for me. Yeah. You know, I'd Mm-hmm. I don't belong in that group. So it, it's finding ways to highlight what you're doing and the activities and that sort of thing so that they can see themselves reflected in that and, and decide whether to join or not. That's a really good point. Yeah.
2: yeah one of the challenges we have as the veteran CNG is that veterans as a group generally aren't you know, let me tell you what I need. It would yeah, be so right. great. And just, just, um, it just doesn't happen. And so we try to provide, you know, we, we'll do a survey of our constituency, you know, what what types of activities would really work for them. And we try to have a whole bunch of different kinds of things. Um, we have some veterans on campus who only want to come to events when they're veteran-only events, um, which, you eh, um, because we do say, you know, veterans and allies. So we have some that only want to come when it's only veterans. And then we have others that, you know, maybe don't want to come to the, the Camouflage to Composition because there might be feelings there, but they're definitely coming on the dairy plant tour, you right. know. So we <laughs> right. just we, we really try to provide a lot of different opportunities for people to connect in whatever way is going to work. We're going to meet them where they're at. That's exactly.
1: what we're trying to do. Exactly. But I, I think what you said is so critical because it is about recognizing that people want to engage in different ways and, and what that looks like. Um, and so, as you said, meeting people where they're at in different ways is a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Deborah, about sort of that distinction that there might be some veterans. Or, or, and you could, I think you could say this about any CNG. People that may be more inclined to want to participate when they are sharing space with other people who actually hold that identity. Mm -hmm. Um, and And I happen to agree, there's a time and a space. I mean, I think the CNGs historically have been built on this idea of a shared identity, but also wanting to welcome people who identify as allies, which I think is wonderful. But I, I think you're hitting on an important point. There, there's a time and a place for when we would benefit from the presence of allies, but then there's times when we might benefit from just being with people who really hold that identity. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a very really good point to bring up.
0: So, you know, keeping that in mind, especially in regards to allies, what would each of you like our colleagues, managers, leaders to know or do in relation to kind of everything that we've talked about today? What would be like the next steps that you'd like to see happen? So uh, I
2: love a lot of the steps that I've seen taken recently, especially the provost's reception this fall. I would love to see things like that keep happening. I also would like folks to know that veterans especially, the roles that they had in the military, transferable skills are the real deal. And that even though what they did in the military doesn't sound like what you need, I promise you in many instances, it really is. And that many veterans are natural leaders as well.
3: I would say my first thought is really tapping into the larger social and cultural context that we're existing within. And so ensuring that supervisors or colleagues of women of color are really attuned to what might be the unique challenges in a societal standpoint that women of color are trying to navigate. I'm thinking about, of course, our racial reckoning as folks like to frame it, but the larger issues around traumas that folks have experienced around anti-Asian sentiment, for example, around anti-Black sentiment, being aware and being tapped into what might be some of the larger cultural constraints that women of color are navigating and moving through even thinking about the violence that happened in Buffalo earlier this year and what that brought forth for women of color, especially for Black women who had families and communities there. But I also think about, and we've talked about this quite a bit in the women of color CNG space, is what is the process and the trajectory of being able to support a woman from starting at Cornell, and how are you ensuring that she's having that growth that support, that development, that investment throughout her career. So really seeing that long-term vision and investment. And even if it ends up in being, you know, this person decides to transition away from Cornell, we've had several colleagues even just this year who have come back to Cornell who are women of color and have taken on senior leadership positions So folks may leave, but they may come back and be able to offer their gifts and strengths. So how do we make sure that we're thinking along the way around what are the skills that we want to continue to develop? What are the ways that we can continue to support and amplify what women of color are bringing to the table? How are we ensuring that they feel that there is investment, that we see that they're feeling that they can move up in leadership if that's something that they are looking for, that there is that actual investment in their success and in their thriving, and that that happens throughout their experience. I'll say too, ensuring that, and I think this is true across the university, but I have heard this quite a bit for women of color, that their managers and that their leaders are really well attuned to how to support them and ensure that they're getting the development that they need. I know this is something that's happening across the, across the board, but I, I think that it's particularly important, especially as we've seen women of color who have chosen to, to leave the university for other opportunities, how do we make sure that we're tapping into what they may need and how do we support them in their, in their development?
1: What I really like about what both of you said is that even though the, the, the specific experiences and, and issues might be different for veterans than for women of color, there's a commonality in what you both just said, which is about, it can't just be about getting them here. You know, it can't just be about recruiting, hiring, admitting. If you're talking about students, you know, more veterans and more women of color, it has to be about how you are investing in them once they're here. How you're really committing and seeing that commitment through in terms of what that support looks like and that development is so critical. And I would agree, that is where we can fall short sometimes, is that ongoing commitment to, to keep them here, you know, for them to want to be here and stay here.
0: Yeah, and I almost see what both of you said as as almost the investment piece from the very, very beginning. So Deb, you mentioned that veterans have a lot of transferable skills, right? So really like educating our own selves in terms of how all of those skills transfer over, I think is is huge in terms of bringing them on board, right? Um, same thing for women of color. And then to Erin, what you just mentioned to your point is like once they get here then, what are we doing in terms of their success, right? I, Steph, I really loved the idea that, you know, you mentioned and it kind of just triggered something in, in my head about though some people leave some choose to come back and the active choice to come back is going to be all based on what experience they had while they were here. So what kind of environment are we creating for them, regardless of whether they stay or how long they stay, is do we create an amazing environment that even though they go somewhere else, they say, no, you know what, I want to go back to Cornell, right? And, and that's, that's how we want to leave everybody. And so I would want us as, as a larger community to create that environment for people that they want to come back even if they choose to leave.
2: So, Toral, I want to give you like a yes and on what you yes. just said, which is not only if someone leaves for, you know, an opportunity that was not available here or, or with their family, that when they get to those new institutions and new businesses that people are like, wow, what are they doing at Cornell? Yes. That they have developed this individual into this, you know, rock star that they are. Yeah, and
0: it's almost a recruiting tool in itself, yes. right? Because yes. then their, their, their new colleagues are going to be like, hey, let me go check out what Cornell's doing. Yes.
1: <laughs> (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think that is a great note to end on, this wonderful conversation. Thank you both so much. I've known you both over the years, um, and I I always learn something every time that I'm in your presence. So thank you so much for spending your time with us, sharing all your experiences. This has really been very valuable for me, and I, I know it will be for our listeners, too.
0: Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Erin, we've come to the end of our mini-series yes. with the Colleague Network groups, and this was our last conversation with the Women of Color Colleague Network group and the Veterans Colleague Network group. I'm kind of sad to see it end because I think every conversation has been amazing. Yeah. Um. But what were some of your biggest takeaways from this conversation?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, all of them have been so unique in yeah. different ways, but as we suspected, there were also some themes that came out you know, um, again, just reflecting that intersectionality that we all hold. But I think one of the things that's really important to talk about is, you know, uh, when Deborah was saying how she didn't even realize that the Veteran Colleague Networking Group was for her, right? because, you know, she held a particular type of veteran status, which I didn't even know. Like, I, right. you know, that's my ignorance. I just thought, you're a veteran, period. You know, I had no idea there were like different, you know, ways that one categorizes that. So thank goodness that someone, you know, helped to realize, no, this is a group for you, too. And that stood out to me because I think that's a potential problem that we have with all the CNGs. I agree. You know, we're forced to give them, you know, very easy to, to say and, and read titles, disability, men of color, women of color. We can't say women who are African, African American, Asian, Asian american you know and so, but then the downside is people might not realize that it's a group for them. Yeah that's why I'm glad we did this because we need more people to be able to hear and see and realize, no, these groups are for you too. If you you know identify in any way, shape or form or have any sort of connection yep. you know this is for you too.:
0: Yeah, I agree with you that that was a great message and, and I'm glad that it happened in this last conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I've had that conversation with many people. You know, we'll give an example in terms of the disability space. Yes. Uh, we've had people say, oh, is there a CNG for neurodiversity? And, and I think we said, well, that is, you know, same as, as the disability. And, and people don't realize right. that disability is a very extremely broad term. And each of the CNGs is very similar, right? Women, like, as you said, women of color, men of color, you know, LGBT veterans. It's a very, they're all very broad terms and that the groups are for anybody in any shape or form, if you identify with, if you're an ally of or supporter of those individuals group. So I'm glad that that point came up because that was something we needed to share with our audience.
1: Me
0: too. Me too. Um, Something that also was mentioned that that stood out to me is this idea of amplifying people's voices. And I think that's what CNGs do, right? That's what they're here for. And you mentioned that Steph mentioned something like that as well, advocating for others amplifying the voices.
1: Yes, absolutely. And really being able to, um, you know, hear the diversity of voices, too, you know, within, but then just really being able to raise what those specific experiences are that are going to be different from one person to another, I thought was incredibly important. Um, I mean, they both mentioned some nuances that I just hadn't thought of before, Um, you know, like if you're an immigrant. Again, the different types of veterans—you know, whether you were been in combat or not—you right. know, all of those are very specific experiences that that do need to be amplified versus generalized. Right. You know, I agree. I yeah. Agree. And, you know, just in general, I I think that what we heard from all of them, but it, it really came out in this particular interview, is that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. You know, that individuals can find from the CNG. Even though you know, staff talked about so beautifully, what one can do to cultivate a sense of belonging. And yeah. I love that she used that verb, <laughs> cultivate. I yeah. just hadn't, been. I hadn't never thought of it that way. I mean, we say create a sense of belonging, provide a sense of belonging, yeah. but cultivate indicates something much more of an ongoing action that you're yeah, thoughtful. active role, yeah. Yeah, that you're thoughtfully engaging, and not just for yourself, but for others, too that you see it as your role to cultivate belonging for you, but also for others around you.
0: Yeah, I've always said that, you know, the culture of inclusion here at Cornell, which is what we want, is a shared responsibility across the board for every single member of this organization. It is not just the work of the CNGs or these diversity and inclusion offices that are are located across the campus. This is everyone's responsibility because each of us has a different sense of what belonging means um, based on our own unique experiences, right? And this is not a concept that only applies to members of Colleague Network. So I agree that cultivating is a key word here because that's the action-oriented piece right yeah Yep.
1: yeah and i think that that that's a great way to sum up our series of the cngs and I, i'm going to be intentional about using that word more that the cngs cultivate a sense of belonging right that we in our office are cultivating a sense of belonging and to your point Tor, you know how can we show and model that for others across campus that we all have a role in cultivating so i think that's a, a great way to end it
0: thank you all for listening This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and the show. For latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu.
1: My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Sambushis. We would also like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks, Bert. Bert!